Andrew reminded me of something I sent out this uh, a couple weeks ago for Vision for 2020. And I said in that email to our church that I envision every person here, every member here at City Church Garland leading somebody to the Lord this year and start discipling somebody this year. Okay, just 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 think about it for a moment. I mean, Andrew's, it sounds like Andrew's already ahead of the game. So already in January. All right. So he's forerunner here. Okay. Just think about it. If each one of us, if we're praying for lost unbelievers around us in our workplace, our family, our neighbors, in the, the spheres of influence in which God has placed us, we're praying for them. And then God gives us a softball pitch to share the gospel with them and tell them about Jesus. And we get the, the, the great privilege of introducing somebody to Jesus and they get eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins and, and purpose and meaning and get the experience abundant life. Just think about how much joy that would be to you. Those of you who are parents know the joy of having a new baby in the family, the joy and the responsibility, right? Uh, both are there and it is a great joy indeed when we see new life brought into the family of God, the kingdom of God, people being born again and God's chosen to use the church to be his messengers to convey the gospel message by which when people hear and believe they will be saved if they hear and believe and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've been entrusted with that great privilege and responsibility, not only to share that message, but then when the babies are born into the, the family to help clean up, to help be responsible, to, to feed them and encourage them, to disciple them. If every one of us did that this year with just one person, if God were to grant us one person that we could lead to Christ and one person that we can start discipling, we would double. Our joy would increase. God would be more glorified through our lives. We would, if we're, if we're facing any boredom in the Christian life and dullness, we'd, we'd have some excitement and thrill, fresh excitement and thrill about following Jesus if we would engage in this great plan that Jesus called the Great Commission, or the Great Commission that where he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Here at City Church, we're committed to that, aren't we? And so we need to be reminded, as a church, we need to be reminded why we're here, why God's brought us together, and what God's called us to do, and pursue that together side by side for the sake of, for the sake of the gospel. Amen? Well, I am super excited this morning about sharing on uh, the book of Hebrews. Oop, my iPad just froze up. Um, I'm also a bit intimidated because the book of Hebrews is dense, it's rich, it's profoundly theological and very complex, and I want to handle it well, and I want to make the message clear, and, and I know, well, I, I just, I want to honor God with how I handle his word, um, and so... <clears throat> So we're going to dig in. Um, we're going to cover a good amount of ground this morning. We're going to look at chapter one. Um, I have a friend of mine who a pastor friend that I used to be a part of a prayer meeting with who invested the time of memorizing this entire book. Yeah, that's what I said. I was impressed to hear that. And and on one Sunday He's a pastor on, on, in the Detroit area. On one Sunday, he got up after having memorized the entire book. He got up and he just simply quoted that, quoted the entire book to the congregation as a sermon. And that's what we're going to do here today. No, just kidding. <laughs> and that's going to be you. No. Um, and, and, and so the, the book of Hebrews actually is a sermon. The book of Hebrews is one long sermon, so that's very fitting and very appropriate to just read it or speak it and declare it all in one setting. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to take it in chunks because it is rich, it is meaty, um, and, and in our community groups, 
whatever meat we don't get off the bone here on Sunday mornings, in our community groups, we're going to try to get more of the meat of the book of Hebrews off the bone. And in our quiet times, in our Bible reading times, also want to encourage you to read through the book of Hebrews and, and, and just get as much as you can. Take notes. As we read through the Bible, there's some questions, some particular things we want to do as we study the Bible. We want to make observations, just note observations, things that you see that stand out in the scripture. And then we want to make correlation, like what other scriptures within that within that book of the Bible or within the Bible correlate and line up with that. So correlation, interpretation, we want to ask ourselves, what does this mean? First, what does it say? What does it mean? Okay, help me understand this. Ask questions like, who is he talking about? Who is he talking to? Okay, and then application. How do I apply this to my life? Yeah, this is great, exciting truth. But how does it affect me now in 2020? As a follower of Jesus, what does it look like for me to apply this to, to my life? And those are some basic things that will help you. A tool, a hermeneutic, a Bible study approach to help you uh, handle God's word well. Okay, And, and particularly, there's, there's three, uh, three things I want us to ask ourselves as we're reading through the text today and through the entire book. Is who is the person of Jesus that Hebrews is emphasizing? Who is he? What's his, his identity? Who, who does the, the, the author of Hebrews reveal Jesus to be? And then what has he done? What is his, what has he accomplished? His person and his work. When we share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody, these are two really important elements. And we want to, a lot of times we start with the work of Jesus, but really it's, it's best to start with who he is, the son of God, the king. The, the, the eternal son of God, divine one, the son of man, the, the, the one God who became flesh and dwelt among us, the savior of the world, the Messiah. OK, the fulfillment of what the prophets spoke about. Right. And so we start there and then we go to explaining what he's done. And that's what the, the author of Hebrews does. He sets us up with some rich, powerful verses about this is who Jesus is. This is what God's up to in these last days. And this, and he goes on to unpack, this is what Jesus has done. Okay? Now, the, the book of Hebrews also has some of the most severe warnings in the New Testament. Okay? And we'll look at the very first one of those warnings today in chapter 2 as an application for us. So as we read through uh, the book of Hebrews and we study the book of Hebrews, as I preach the book of Hebrews, expect to get prodded out of any comfort zone or complacency if you're in a place of complacency right now or apathy. Because the book of Hebrews is designed to shake up and wake up the sleeping, sleeping, slumbering saint, the drifting saint designed to be a means of grace to keep and encourage and strengthen the true people of God. The author of Hebrews, many have thought that Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. But we don't have Paul's typical signature on the front end or the back end, like his all of his other epistles. He's Paul, an apostle of Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. Like he starts with that, his, his, his typical greeting. So we don't have that. It, this is a sermon. This is a sermon. Now we do have a mention of Timothy at the end in chapter 13. So whoever wrote uh, the book of Hebrews probably knew Timothy who was Paul's traveling companion. There are theories among theologians about who actually wrote this. Some think it's Paul. Others think it was Barnabas, who was also a traveling companion of Paul. Uh, Barnabas, because he was very, he, he was a solid, solid leader in the church, and he was a Levite. And so he would have been immersed and trained in the Old Testament scriptures. And whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, the, the preached the sermon of the book of Hebrews, they knew their Bibles well. Okay? They knew their Bibles well. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you're probably going to be scratching your head. Like, what is he talking about? Where is he going? How many, how many times is he going to quote, as it says, as the Spirit says, as the Scripture says, as the, the prophet says, right? How many times is he going to do that? Well, there's, there's close to, there's over a hundred 
direct quotes and allusions and summaries of the Old Testament. There's over a hundred in the book of Hebrews, according to William Lane. The book of Hebrews teaches us how to interpret our Bibles, read our Bibles, particularly the Old Testament with Jesus in view. Because all of the scripture points us to Jesus. Jesus said in John 5, 39, that the scriptures bear witness of him. He told the, the, the religious leaders of the, of the day, you guys search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have it. And the scriptures, they bear witness about me. But the Bible's about Jesus. Jesus, after he was resurrected in Luke 24, he was seen by his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they were discouraged. They were like, man, we thought this guy was the Messiah. They were in despair, discouragement. And Jesus walked them through an Old Testament survey, Christology in the Old Testament, and walked them through from Moses, the law, the prophets, and even the Psalms, highlighting how this is, this is Jesus. And then he opens their eyes and boom, they're like, ah, oh, it's him. And then he disappears, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, and, and it says, didn't our hearts burn within us as he walked with us, by the way? Like we were right there with him. We didn't even recognize it. I wonder how many Christians are in churches today in the presence of the Lord and don't even recognize what they have right there ne- next to them, right there entrusted to them. May God open our eyes. To see the glory of who Jesus is. Father, I pray that. I pray that now. That you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Holy Spirit, would you come and glorify Jesus here amongst us and in our lives. Would you assist me, help me to handle your word well. God, help us to hear to heed and obey what you have said. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two other possibilities that theologians think who wrote this. Uh, there's a Paul, Barnabas. Some think Apollos may have written it. Because Apollos was known as one who was eloquent in scriptures. He was el- eloquent in speech and, and very well versed in the scriptures. He knew he was a great speaker and he knew his Bible well. He knew about Jesus in the Bible well. Other theologians think Dr. Luke, uh, Paul's traveling companion. And then there's some who even think that um, Priscilla uh, wrote it, a woman, which would kind of explain why there wasn't a signature because in the first century, if it was Priscilla, a woman who wrote the book of Hebrews, then uh, it wouldn't be read by by the majority, right? And so anyways... These are all theories, speculations. We don't know actually who wrote it other than we know who inspired it. And though we don't know who the human author is, we know who who the the ultimate author of the scripture is. So though we don't know the author specifically, the human author, we know that this is in our Bibles and it has authority as the word of God. And so we receive it. We believe it. We believe what God's word says. And as you go through Hebrews, your systematic theology and your, your, your frame of theology might be poked with a little bit, might be challenged a little bit. And, and that's okay. We're going to let the Bible say what it says and embrace it. And if our theological framework doesn't fit into what the Bible says, then we need to readjust, not make the Bible readjust to our theology. Okay. But we do have some significant theological questions that we're going to have to wrestle with as we go through this book. Amen. There's a couple words too and phrases that you might want to take note of that are that's mentioned the word perfect is mentioned 13 times for all you perfectionists, won't you mark those and highlight those with the exclamation mark. The word better for those of you who are competitive and you you strive to be the best in excellence. And then the word let us, let us is mentioned 13 times. The word better 15 times, perfect 13 times. Let us, and, 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 and that's in leading to an exhortation. Let us draw near. 
Let us consider one another. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. By the way, I, there, there's a couple of, of thoughts here. We probably need to take a poll for, for a sermon series title. I'm gonna, I'll probably put it on Facebook and do a poll on our little Facebook group. Fixing, fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus or Jesus is better. Okay, those are the three options. Okay? Okay, I'll put it on Facebook. I'll see who says which one the most, <clears throat> and we'll go with it. Okay? So the book of Hebrews was written to strengthen and encourage the struggling church to persevere. One of the things, a theme that we see throughout Hebrews is this idea of perseverance. Don't lose heart. Don't drift. Don't turn back. Perhaps the audience, though, and, and we don't know exactly who the, the recipients were, but, but they were probably Jewish Christians who had experienced some persecution. The author mentions that. Who had experienced some tough times and who were probably being tempted to either go back to Judaism and the Old Testament sacrifices, which, which the author of Hebrews says those are the, the shadows of the substance. Jesus is better. Don't go back there because there's no other salvation but in Jesus. So don't go back. Okay? So, so they're, they're probably struggling with returning back to Judaism or, and or, they were probably those who, uh, Christians who were being tempted to be syncretistic with Judaism and make Christianity a legalistic religion. Okay? And so the book of Hebrews emphasizes that Jesus is better. Jesus is the ultimate. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is superior. Jesus is more excellent. The Bible is about him. And in chapter 1, we see him as a prophet, priest, and a king. The ultimate prophet, priest, and king. So that's my introduction. One other thing, too, concerning the recipients. They were probably, they probably went from meeting in the temple where there was some sentimentalism, probably what they were grew, grew up in, and there were some really nice things about having a temple and having a structure set up, kind of like high church. And then they went from that to, as Christians, meeting in living rooms and house churches, you know, where there's, it's not as glamorous and glorious, right? And so part of the temptation may have been that they're like, I want to go back to that old way of doing church with the, sac with the temple, the sacrificial systems and so on, rather than this messy, nitty gritty house church kind of thing, right? That said, that's a long introduction. We're going to dig into the text together. Hebrews chapter 1. If you would stand with me as we read through this text. Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you have laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. 
And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So here's the big idea that we're going to look at from this text in this chapter, namely that God has spoken climactically through his son, Jesus who is more excellent than the prophets and greater than the angels. So we must focus our attention on him lest we drift spiritually. I'll say it one more time. God has spoken climactically through his son, Jesus, who is more excellent than the prophets and greater than the angels. So we must focus our attention on him lest we drift spiritually. Okay. Now this, this first couple of verses is loaded with theology. I have nine points this morning. The first one is that Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is the ultimate climactic revelation of God. And, and we've talked about this in John chapter one over Advent in December. We talked about Jesus being the eternal word, the son of God and God the word. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We we talked about this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We we we've 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 covered this, we we come back to this over and over because if we drift from this reality, we drift from Christianity. So we cling tight to this. We're not going to budge on this. We're not going to give in to the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons who come knocking at our door. We're going to stand on what God's word says. And it says that Jesus is divine. He's God. We believe that. Okay. That's one of the distinct, one of the distinguishing marks between Christianity and cults. Okay. So Christianity historically has believed that Jesus is divine. He's the eternal son of God. The word became flesh who dwelt among us. And here Hebrews tells us that that he is the ultimate expression of God, the ultimate revelation, the, the climax of God's revelation to us is in Jesus. You see, God, from the very beginning of Scripture, we see that God is a speaking God. God speaks and it happens, right? So, so we, and he's created us in our, in his image with the capacity to speak and communicate as well. Jesus, the eternal son of God is called the Logos, the word. Okay. And, and so God is a communicating God, a speaking God. And all throughout the Bible from Genesis to revelation, we see God speaking to mankind in various different ways. He spoke to Adam in the garden. He spoke to Noah and, 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 and warned Noah of a flood that would, would come. He spoke through the rainbow to Noah. This is, my, this is a reminder of the promise that I'm never, ever going to flood the world again. He spoke to Abraham as Abraham. He tells him to look up at the stars. Abraham's talking to God. God speaks to Abraham. He gets a word from God. By the way, sometimes people will think you're crazy if, if you've heard from God. I'm sure those around Abraham thought that with some of the things that God had told him to do. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke to Joshua, to David. He spoke through a donkey to Balaam. Various ways God has spoken. He spoke to Elijah through a still, small voice. The Bible tells us he speaks through the sky. Psalm 19, the skies declare the glory of God. We see in creation the invisible attributes of God. And so all of humanity has some general revelation of who God is. In in the sense that there's a God out there who created all this. There must be. God's wired us to, to, to have that sense within us. And creation bears witness to that. God spoke through Hosea's marriage. God told him to marry a prostitute. And God used that as a parable to say, Israel, this is what our relationship is like. I've been faithful and loving and committed to you. But you prostitute, you go and you act like a harlot and you, you turn away from me, your faithful, loving husband. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, a a, a guy who laid on his side, a guy who walked around naked. God used some really weird things to communicate his message to people, to get people's attention. Because we tend to shut off the most important voices, the most important voice. 
that we need to hear. And there is a tempter, Satan, who comes and he whispers, did God really say? Did God really say? And all throughout history, people have doubted and, and struggled with, did God really say that? Because the enemy wants us to doubt what God has said. But God has spoken in various ways in many times past. He's spoken in various ways. He's spoken through the prophets. He, he would speak through, through dice, rolling dice. He spoke to him in various different ways. But when we look at Jesus, we see the ultimate revelation of God, the climatic way that God is speaking. Jesus himself came speaking God's words, but he didn't merely come speaking the words of God. He came as the word of God. He came as the message. He came as the revelation, not merely given revelation. He was and is the revelation of God, God in the flesh. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And and, and John says, we've seen his glory We've seen his glory, the one, the glory of the only begotten of the father, the unique son from the father, full of grace and truth. We've seen him. And so as, as Christians, we should, we should camp out and be Christ centered. The book of Hebrews directs us to be a Christ centered people. And the Holy Spirit helps us to glorify Jesus. He gives us understanding of who Jesus is. The ultimate revelation of God. If you want to see what God is like. If you want to know God, you have to know his son Jesus. And it's synonymous. If he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here at City Church, that's one, one of the things, the first thing listed in our vision statement that, that we're about knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus because this is the game changer. This changes the entire trajectory of our lives and eternity. Whether we know him or not. Whether we have the son and have life. Or we don't have the son and don't have life. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life that they may know you. The one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And when we know Jesus, it leads to us loving people and making an impact in the world. So Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus is the heir of all things. Being the son, it makes sense that he's the heir of all things. They all belong to him. He's also, Jesus is the agent of creation. Look at verse, uh, the second part of the verse says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So he's the heir of all things is the son and through whom he also created the world. We got creator here. Not creation, creator. Jesus is distinct from creation. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through him and for him. That ought to make you want to praise and worship. Amen? And so, and Hebrews will come back to this here. Verse 3 He's the radiance of God's glory. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. If you've seen the son, you've seen the father. The father and God, the son God, the Holy Spirit are one. Okay, and we're going to come back to that over and over again. We believe in the Trinity here at City Church Garland. And, and the book of Hebrews sets this up. This is key for the, the entire, the rest of the book. The rest of the book. You got to get this. Who is Jesus? And then when you get who is Jesus in this chapter, we see he, he's divine. In chapter two, we see he's also, he, be, he became flesh. He became a man. Therefore, he became killable so that he could be our sacrifice, so that he could be our mediator, so that he can be the one who purifies us from our sins. So he's the, Jesus is the radiance of his glory. And as I read these, I just think of all these worship songs that are coming to mind that I just want to break out in. 
You are worthy of affection. You're the radiance of all His glory. Let adoration fill this place. You hold everything together by the word of Your immovable power. We sing a song of praise. Shane and Shane does it better. <laughs> Jesus is the expressed, the expression of God's nature, the exact imprint of God's nature. Okay, this the Greek word here for exact imprint is character. All right, does it sound familiar? Character. All right, and 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 so it was used. This is the only time I believe it's used in the Bible, and it was used uh, to, to describe the the imprint of coins when when it's when the when there's the pressing of the coin, and so you see the image printed printed down there, right? And I have this nice little imprint there of love. There in Jesus, we see the imprint of the expression of God's nature, full of grace and truth, or steadfast love and faithfulness which theologians think is a counterpart to john's grace and truth so jesus is the expression of god's nature and we believe this here i mean i'm telling you guys stuff that you already know i'm going to give you some application here to it but first what we just did let's worship as we as we read this let our let your heart be stirred and be passionate about this this is who jesus is this is a game changer for us. May our hearts be warm to this and get excited about this. In our culture, we live in a day where, where many churches have put aside theological preaching going through, the, through books of the Bible like this. They've uh, ended up focusing on more practical marriage, money, work, kind of practical application, motivational speeches. And the Bible is, is, is very practical and gives us lots of application. But the Bible is very theological and deep. And, and the, the authors of the Bible understood, the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament understood that our beliefs affect our behavior. That our doctrine affects our duty, how we live. I know this is theological. I know these are things that in, in 2020 you may not be thinking about every single day. But this is a game changer for us. This changes the way we live when we know who Jesus is, what he has done. And then that helps us to respond appropriately to who he is. So it's appropriate for us to sing praise and worship to him. It's appropriate for us to give Jesus our highest allegiance even over any earthly leader. So Jesus is the sustainer of all things. I love this. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He has created and sustains matter, but also human history. And he has a purpose that he is working out throughout human history. He is sovereign. I love Psalm 33. It says that the uh, the, the plans of the Lord stand firm throughout all generations he makes the the plans of the people to no effect but the plans of the lord stand firm throughout all generations he's he's the one holding it all together you're you're sustained and have life and breath in your lungs because jesus is holding you together and and his purpose for your life is going to be worked out because he is sustaining and guiding and governing and bringing about his good plans for your life and so you say Yes, Lord, have your way. We trust him. We have confidence that he's going to perfect that which concerns us. He's going to work out his plans for us. He's going to fulfill his purpose for us as the sustainer of all things. In verse 3 here, And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus is the purifier of God's people. And he's offered what Hebrews will, Hebrews will unpack this in detail later on. 
And understanding the Old Testament sacrificial system helps us understand this reality even more. That apart from the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There must be a sacrifice, a blameless, perfect sacrifice. And Jesus is that Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His blood was shed for you and I. Jesus is the priest who makes the sacrifice, and he's the lamb who is the sacrifice. He's the great high priest, as we see here. He is the great king, as we'll see here. As the, the psalmist goes on to start quoting the Old Testament, Jesus is better than the angels. He is better than the angels, and the author starts quoting like crazy Old Testament verses. Having become much superior as the name, and by the way, angels were a big deal. For, for Jewish believers, Muslims also consider angels a big deal. In our culture, we think, when we think about angels, sometimes we think of these little chubby cartoon kind of characters with the little bow and, but in the Bible, there's a lot, there's a lot of narrative of, of, about angels and, and what their, their role in serving to God's great redemptive plan. Paul in Colossians warns against being preoccupied with angels to the point where they're worshipped. Because they shouldn't be worshipped. They're creation, not creator. The author of Hebrews here is saying Jesus is better than the angels. Yeah, angels are great. Praise God for angels. They have their purpose in serving and and, and ministering to us. But listen to what he says. Having become much having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or I will be, be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. If Jesus wasn't divine, this would not be appropriate. But Jesus is divine. Angels, when, when people tried to worship them in the Bible, they're like, don't do that. Right? In John, in Revelation, don't do that. I'm, I'm not him. You need to worship him. Worship God. Right? But Jesus, it's appropriate. It's, it, have you ever thought about that in the Bible? When, when people bow down and they're worshiping Jesus, he's not like, stop it guys, really, I'm not that great. He's God. The eternal son of God. And so it's appropriate. For Jesus to receive worship from angels and from all creation because it's all made through him and for him. And so let's give him glory. Of, of the angels, he says, he makes the angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, listen to this. Your throne, O God, is forever. Notice this. The author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 45, and he's saying, this is the son here. This is talking about the, the, the king of kings here, who is described as God, Yahweh. Your throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, O Lord, he's Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, this is a big deal, by the way, in first century to say Jesus is Lord rather than saying Caesar is Lord. Because it's, it's a statement of allegiance here. You are Lord. You laid the foundation of and you, Lord, have laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands and they perish. But you remain and they will wear out like a garment. So Jesus is better then angels, like a robe, verse 12, like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's us. So Jesus is better than the angels. I on on Facebook the other day, many of you probably saw this. I I did a post. I said, Jesus is better than blank. You fill in the blank. Uh, Let me just read to you some of the things that people put here. If I can find that is Jesus is better than Cheetos. (laughs) 
Jesus is better than food. Jesus is better than marriage. Jesus is better than Biden. Jesus is better than Clinton. Jesus is better than Trump. He trumps Trump. Jesus is better than anything, anyone, ever. He's better. And the list goes on and on. I can't find it here. I don't want to be on Facebook while I'm in church. Oh, wait, here it goes. Here's, here's uh, Nicole's here. Uh, Dr. Pepper. Jesus is better than Dr. Pepper. Jesus is better than every single thing. Jesus is better than, you didn't know that your, your answers were going to get put on here. Anything we can imagine. Jesus is better, period. Jesus is better than life. That's my mom. Uh, Jesus is better than methamphetamines. Jesus is better than the riches of all the fame and the perishing things of this fleeting world. Danny B. Jesus is better, and somebody who knows their Bible says this, uh, Jesus is better than Moses, angels, priest. See Hebrews. Like, yeah, I go, Andrea, you know your Bible, right? You're, that's, that's, that's it. Jesus is better than anyone, every single thing. And here to, to that, we say yes and amen. Jesus is better. We needed, we need to be reminded of that and we need to remind one another with that, encouraging one another daily. With that reality that Jesus is better. That thing you're going through and that thing you're having to give up. That's tough. I understand. But Jesus is better. Here's the application that Hebrews 2 gives. This is the first warning of a series of warnings that he gives throughout Hebrews. We must pay close attention to the sun lest we drift. God has spoken climatically through his son Jesus. So hear him. Remember on the Mount Transfiguration Peter, James, and John, Moses, and Eliza show up, and G- Peter's like, man, this is cool. Let's, let's build a tabernacle. And God says, this is my son. Hear him. Listen to him. Okay, pay attention. Pay attention. God's spoken in many ways in the past, but now he has spoken in these last days through his son. And by the way, from his resurrection to, to now, these are, the, these are what the theologians consider the last days. These are what the New Testament writers refer to the last days, this last... 2,000 years that we're living in, right? Pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, do you see here the connection between verse 1 of chapter 2 and verse 1 through 3 in chapter 1? God has spoken through His Son. So listen. We live in a day that struggles with listening, struggles with focusing, struggles to pay attention. Husbands, you know what it's like when your wife is trying to tell you something and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, honey, yeah, uh uh-huh. You're on your phone, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And then she says, you know what I just told you? You're like, uh, I'm sure most of us husbands have had that experience where we appeared to be listening and maybe we weren't. And as we look at Hebrews and as we go through this next season, let's let's not merely appear to be listening. Let's be intentional and diligent and careful to hear God speaking to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Kent Hughes says this. The church's experience 2000 years ago intersects our lives in this way. Drifting is the besetting sin of our day, as the metaphor suggests. It is not so much intentional as from unconcern. Christians neglect their anchor, Christ, and begin to quietly drift away. There is no friction, no dramatic sense of departure. But when the wind blows, when the winds of trouble come, the things of Christ are left far behind and even out of sight. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, if you examined a hundred people who lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? The subtle, subtle drifting. Warren Wearsby said this, More spiritual problems are caused by neglect than perhaps by any other failure on our part. We neglect God's word, prayer, worship with God's people, and other opportunities for spiritual growth. And as a result, we start to drift. And we're like, I don't know what happened. 
I just stopped reading my Bible for a couple months. And I stopped praying for a couple months. I didn't really feel like going to church. And all of a sudden, I have a hard heart towards the things of God. And I just want to watch TV and, and you know, do my own thing, right? And, and, and so we wonder, like, what happened? And it's, it's this slow drifting. And God forbid that any of us should be like that ship that just slowly drifts away. Slowly drifts. God's given us an anchor to hold us down. And I am a firm believer in the security of God's people that salvation, eternal life is eternal. We're going to wrestle with this through this book. Okay. You're going to wrestle. As you see these warnings in these texts, you're going to, you're going to have to wrestle with this. Like how do, how does this, this warning fit with this? I've been perfected forever or I've been given eternal salvation. How does that fit together and with the rest of the Bible? We're just going to have to wrestle with it. There's a man named Robert Robinson. You may know the hymn that he wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. He came to the Lord under the preaching of the great evangelist George Whitfield. Robert Robinson became a pastor and was used by the Lord greatly. But something happened. He started to neglect his spiritual life and he started to drift. And to find some peace... He started to travel, just trying to find some peace and some comfort and started to travel. And as he's traveling, he met a woman who was very spiritual, a godly woman. And she was happening, happening to read a hymn, Come Thou Fount. And she, she brought it to him and said, hey, look at this hymn I found. Uh, what do you think of it? And God was speaking to him, was chasing him down, as some call the hound of heaven was after him. And, and he broke down and he confessed how he had drifted from the Lord. And he had shared the story with, with them. And, and as he shared, the woman assured him that God's streams of mercy are still flowing towards him. Remember the, the, the verse in there he wrote in that, in that hymn, prone to wonder, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart and take it, seal it for thy courts above. Let this be our prayer. And let these warnings not to drift be a means of grace for keeping you and I close to the shepherd. Close to the anchor of our soul. Albert Moeller says, orthodoxy and obedience are the oars we must use in fighting against the danger of spiritual drift. Theology and practice will keep us sailing forward in fidelity. The fight of sanctification is a fight against the tides of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Either we are listening to the Son and walking in His Word, or we are drifting away from biblical thinking and getting carried away by the cultural confusion of our day. And so let us hear the witnesses. Jesus has spoken about this great salvation. Let us not neglect it. The apostles have also borne witness of Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done. And they've told us and unpack gospel truth in the epistles. And God himself, God himself has bore witness through signs and wonders and miracles and even gifts of the Holy Spirit to put his stamp on God's message to us, God's revelation to us. And so let us hear these witnesses and let us heed. Last quote here, the Christian, this is Dorothy Sayers in her book, A Careless Rage for Life. The Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of man. And the dogma is the drama. That drama is summarized quite clearly in the creeds of the church. If we think it dull, it is because we either have never really read those amazing documents or, or have recited them so often and so mechanically as to have lost all sense of their meaning. The, the plot pivots upon a single character and the whole action is the answer to a single central problem. What think ye of Christ? Who is Jesus? What do you think about him? Who do you say I am? He said to his disciples. And so an application become intimately and accurately acquainted with the person and the work of Jesus by reflecting on the book of Hebrews. 
Okay, let this next season be a, a, a time to become intimately and accurately acquainted to the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus by reflecting specifically on Hebrews because Hebrews is so Christ-centered, so de- theologically rich and dense, so focused on Jesus. Allow Christ to reign supreme in your heart and your affections and your allegiance. If he's better and supreme, greater, more excellent, if he has that highest place, and God says he should have that highest place in your life, then surrender that to him. Let him reign in your heart. Guard your heart from complacency and apathy by embracing the warnings of Hebrews and enjoying Jesus. Amen? When we get this deep within us, we become intimately and accurately acquainted with him. It will be a guard against when when cults from other religions come with their heresy knocking on your doors. Like when I was a new Christian in 1998, 99, I saw an ad on the TV. It says, if you want a better revelation of Jesus Christ, call this number. We'll bring you the Book of Mormon. I'm like, yeah, I want to know Jesus better. Bring it. They show up at my doorstep and I'm, I don't know about Mormons. I don't, I don't, you know, this intimately and accurately knowing Jesus. I knew him personally, but I, I needed some, some roots to go deep. I needed better theology about who Jesus is. And they showed up on my doorstep and thank God that my, my stepfather was there when they did. And he, like a, like a shepherd, you know, fighting off some, some wolves going for a sheep. He scared them off and he gave them something to think about with his uh, Wisconsin accent there. God will keep us and let us be intentional about being close to the shepherd. Let us not wander. Let us draw close. Let us draw near and let us have great confidence that he will perfect that which concerns us. That he will fulfill the work that he has started in us. Because he is faithful. You and I can trust him and be faithful to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these powerful words. I thank you for the honor to be able to speak these words. To know these words. We pray that, God, we would have a, a, a strong anchor to our souls, our hope in you, Jesus, that it would be let down and that we wouldn't drift when the storms come, when the winds and the waves blow up against our lives, that we would be anchored in you, sure and steadfast hope. Take our hearts and seal them, Lord, for your courts above. Jesus, you're the author and the finisher of our faith. You started it. You'll finish it. And so our eyes are on you, Lord. Have your way in us. May your kingdom come. Your will be done in us. In Christ's name we pray. Hebrews 13, benediction says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good so that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.